Hallelujah. I thought there was one more video going on. How many think those hamburgers look good? <laughs> Why do I always talk about food? Oh, Lord, please, please. <laughs> ah, what an amazing day. I woke up, uh, actually it was right at 12.01 a.m., first minute into September 1st, and uh, the Lord spoke to me clearly, and uh, he said, I've opened up the doors for revival. It's time to step in. And I thought, okay, Lord, I thought we had stepped in. And I realized that you never stop stepping in to revival. That once you feel you stepped into revival and you camp out there and you hang out there, there's another step that needs to be taken and another step. And uh, so I was just so encouraged even with what uh, my son-in-law Chris shared today and, and during transition. I'm like... This is, we are, we're in revival. We have to understand that. But we have to understand that's not where we sit or stay. We have to continue on in it. Uh, we love to say we're camped out in revival. But the reality is, is revival is not a one-thing event. Revival means coming from dead, coming from something to something. And so none of us have attained the fullness yet. We're still in the process of revival. And yes, we're going to hang out and camp out in revival, but I, I, I just want to make sure that we never let the revival of yesterday be our forefront of today. It has to be the step, the starting of our step. So you hear what I'm saying? It, it's, it's so many of us feel like, yeah, we've come, we're here, let's just hang out in his presence. Oh, yeah, hang out in his presence, but... If you and I don't realize that we haven't attained the fullness of his presence yet, then we're going to hang out in something that we experienced last year, 10 years ago, but that was actually the first stepping stone of the next step. And so what we do is we experience what we received yesterday for the stepping stone new today. So we take what we've received in his presence, in his glory, and we step into the newness of who he is today, because every day is a new day. How many of you know that the number one passion that we must have as believers is intimacy and going after God? Amen. It has to be beyond everything else. If it is not beyond everything else then everything else starts to take away our number one passion. And so often it's easy for us to start to live in everything else and leave the intimate passion behind. And then we become just doers, but not living in him while we do. Then we become Martha's, which is great to be workers, but we lose the opportunity of Mary's at the feet of Jesus. The feet of Jesus is where Mary got her lifeblood to do the work of a Martha. But Martha got her lifeblood out of doing, but not at the feet. I'm not saying you can't be a Martha. What I'm saying is you need to be a Mary first. Because Martha... Her understanding was, I get relationship through my service. But Mary's understanding is, I get relationship through my intimacy. 
There's a group of people in this world that get paid through their relation, through their service. We call them prostitutes. And it's easy to prostitute God's grace and glory. Shucks, Lord. It's not in my notes. <laughs> and the fire trucks go by. <laughs> you hear the sirens. When we lose the intimacy and stay in religion and ministry, we border a line of prostitution of the gospel instead of living the gospel to save the prostitutes. We're called as sons, adopted sons and daughters of the king. Every one of us is in some form of ministry. If you're not, find Jesus in your life. Ministry is not just what I do on a platform. I pray that this is the outcome of what my life is already. And so many ministers do the gift but they've lost the relationship of the intimacy of the Father that actually gave them the gift in the first place. Many can preach a good message. Many can do signs and wonders. But the reality is, is I don't really believe God is worried about the signs and wonders. He's worried about the relationship. Signs and wonders to God are normal. It's not even a sign and a wonder. It's just kingdom, normality. We should not be worried of the signs and wonders. We should go after the creator of the intimacy. And his name is God. Through his son, Jesus Christ, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Good messages are great messages. Praise God. We preach the word. I pray it's the word of God. But if I preach without a lifestyle of the worshiper then in the eyes of the kingdom, I can be like a clanging gong. Even though the word will not come back void, it will always be life to people, even if it comes from an individual who might be in sin. And as I was praying and processing, a few things during worship came up into my, into my mind, and, and I thought, if you get restored back to ministry, now ministry is not just the platform. You hear what I'm saying? I believe that if you're a leader in ministry and you're ministering as a leader, as there's double honor, I believe there's a greater accountability if you are a leader in ministry than if you are not a leader in ministry. It even says, heaven forbid, basically, if you teach my children the wrong way or the wrong path, what does it say? It'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the ocean. In other words, it'd be better for you to die or drown than to teach our children the wrong way. And so many times our gift has overwhelmed us in so many ways uh, that, that we forgot the importance of the intimacy of who God is and that we have to first go after the intimacy of God before our ministry. 
And then as I've been praying and processing this, in my own life, I've been praying this process for years, and we've been helping people, uh, not just in ministry, but just regular people get restored back, and even people get restored back into the ministry. And then just a few weeks ago, a light came back on in my head as I was reading Restoration Scriptures, and I realized, hold it, God, you actually didn't say we're restoring people back to ministry. That whole contents of the Scripture is restoring back to relationship with you. And so the reality is it has nothing to do with ministry. It has restoration back to God. And when you're restored back to God, then I believe a door might open, but you will be humbled at that point. We used to try to put a time frame in the old denominational group I was. A certain sin took this many years, another sin took this many years, and, and, and this sin you never got back into ministry. And I don't agree with that. I believe every person, every situation has a different gravity, but the gravity is decisive on your intimacy and your forgiveness back in restoration to God. Of course God has forgiven you, but are you restored back to him? So if you get restored back into ministry, let's use family, back into relationship, back into a marriage, back into your children's lives, whatever you want to use. If you get restored back into that ministry that you carry before restoration back to God, then your ministry in reality is without God. (laughs) It's like an alcoholic getting set free from alcoholism in his own thought pattern, but you don't have relationship back to God, but yet you want your marriage and your children to act like nothing ever happened. (laughs) But the whole perspective of the scripture is not your responsibility to make sure everyone forgives you and ignores your past. Your actual number one responsibility is that you're living wholesome in the eyes of God and your relationship is restored back to him in such a way that your whole life is him and you. And that becomes the extension of living a culture of truth, honor, and integrity in your life, which will start to create trust again in the people around you. If you expect to be restored back into your ministry or your family or your children or whatever, your marriage, and you expect to be done, do that, You will expect everyone to forgive and restore you immediately. But I said, I'm sorry. But that is not the order of Scripture. It's kind of like, if I I have an amazing marriage. I have the most amazing woman on the face of this earth, the most beautiful woman on the face of this earth. Almost 31 years in October will be 31 years of marriage with not an argument, or no, I'm just kidding, uh, of beautiful marriage. But if I had an issue, and let's just say I smacked her, and then I said, I'm sorry, oh man, I'm sorry. And then I do it again. And then I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I love you. Bam. Oh, I'm sorry. I love you. Bam. Oh, I'm sorry. I love you. Bam. Oh, I'm sorry. I love you. Bam. How, how many of you would expect her, every time I say I'm sorry, to step back in to unconditional love with me? 
The crazy thing is, is God actually expects it in his life with you or him with you. So God, through Jesus Christ, has already forgiven you before you hit or before you did something. But the reality is, is as you get restored truly back into that relationship with God, you stop the pattern. You stop the cycle because God doesn't have that pattern and God's kingdom doesn't have that cycle. In restoration, what it means is changing the direction. That's what restoration means. Changing something from what was into something that is to be. And so true restoration in our own lives and our own marriages is literally about, if I'm in restoration, it's about me changing me with God, not about what I expect you to forgive me about. It has to be fully between me, the perpetrator, and God. That's my number one focus. That's my number one drive. And I will guarantee you, I'm covered under the blood of Jesus Christ in it. But sometimes we use covered under the blood a little too much. Bam, oh, I'm sorry, covered under the blood. (laughs) Bam, covered under the blood. Bam, covered under the blood. Bam, I don't believe the blood is covering you at that moment in time because you are willfully choosing to sin. Nowhere do I find in Scripture where it says, you know what? You can willfully choose to sin all you want, and the blood has covered it. That's called a greasy gray slope that has gone so far past truth. We're called to forgive each other, absolutely. But it doesn't mean we're called to be in agreement with the sin. Ever. What else did I write during worship? Many tried to get restored back to their relationship with the family or back to ministry or back to the relationship they destroyed with their children. They, they say they're sorry and they, they expect it instantaneously. But God first. And then we humble ourselves and we show people that, you, that we are truly repentant and worthy of trust again. See, I can't expect my wife to trust me. If I do, then, or if I expect to have all control over her, then I'm going to pull out the scripture, women, wives, submit to your husband. I might have pulled that scripture out, okay, maybe once in the very early years of marriage when I was immature But you know what's amazing? Is when I live as a godly son on fire for him, I don't have to convince her of any of that. I just have to love her as Christ loves the church. And it's not I have to, I want to because I love him, which gives a love to me that's unquenchable. I can't stop that love. It's like, God, I sometimes don't deserve it, but yet you say I do. And, and I fall in love with him over and over and over again. And that love just starts to spring out into our children, our wife, our grandchildren, baby Samuel. Sometimes we restore people too soon 
back into ministry. And we need to make sure they're restored back to God. And then sometimes I think we've taken too long. And there's a balance that takes wisdom and discernment, an apostolic group of people coming together, walking it through, but not done publicly, if, need, if not needed. At the same time, we have scripture that does call, that if someone you go to as a brother or sister, and you speak to them, and they refuse and two, three elders come together and they refuse, then it is told to be bringing publicly to put fear in everybody else. <laughs> so it's a crazy thing, but that's a last resort in my books. You and I, I am not responsible if I fall into sin and repent. I am not responsible for people to forgive me. I am responsible to live a life trustworthy of forgiveness. That makes sense? And my top priority in relationship will always be with God, which will create a lifestyle of truth, honor, and integrity. The three core principles that we have here in this ministry, truth, honor, and integrity. We sang, as Becky was singing, uh, and Dawn and the team, we fight with weapons unseen. <laughs> but I immediately added, but we see their effect. Okay, let's preach. A couple people in Scripture, well, there's many in Scripture that amaze me. And, uh, but one I want to talk about today has had an intense and passionate focus on God. And I think that when we sort of just live in the same old, same old, we lose the intense and passionate focus on God. And I bet you many of us in this room and watching on TV right now could probably agree that sometimes you have lost your intense and passionate focus on God. Do you believe that? Put your hand up that at some point in life you lost your intense and passionate focus on God. In other words, there's always more. There's always more. There's always more. What God is actually looking for is actually an intense people that are passionate and focused on him. And how many of you don't like, don't put your hand up, don't like intensity because some don't like me because they think, Brent, you're so intense. No, it's just my eyebrows are big. It makes me look intense. You looked at me, but you didn't acknowledge me. I'm sorry. I, I, my eyes were looking around, and I was probably thinking about something else. You didn't give me a hug in the church today. I'm sorry. I'm like... This intense and passionate focus that we must have is something we need to learn more about. We need to learn about this intensity, and we need to learn about this passionate focus. It is not an exercise of your gift. It is an increasing of your relationship with God. Some people say, yeah, but look at the miracle signs and wonders. What an intense, passionate focus on God. No, no, no. What you do is you say, wow, look at the gift of God. 
But intense and passionate focus on him is really seen between you and him. Jacob, even with his deep personal issues of deception and manipulation, he still had an intense desire to the blessings of the Lord. Jacob, I mean, he messed up. Well, he kind of listened to his mom, which was good, but he kind of messed up. Some of us know the story. Some of you are looking at who's Jacob. I understand. (laughs) I'm going to explain something here in just a moment. If Jacob did that today in one of our families, you probably wouldn't like him. Because he took his twin brother Esau's first birthright, because <laughs> the guy was hungry, but second, his blessing. Now, we have to take a look here at what happened, okay? So you have Isaac, who's a son of Abraham, Abraham and Ishmael. Well, how many of you know that story? It didn't go well, and it's actually many believe still at battle today. And so now we have Isaac, whose wife is not giving birth, so he cries out to the Lord, just the same as Abraham. Sorry, Jacob. I keep getting Isaac and Jacob, but I know the story. I said to my wife, if I say Isaac instead of Jacob, please let me know, but I understand who's father and who's son, okay? (laughs) It's It's like me, John, and Paul. You know, when I talk about John, sometimes it's like, no, that was actually Paul. Oh, no, Paul. Oh, that was John, you know. We're human. (laughs) That's what grace is for. You know my heart if I put the wrong name in there. (laughs) So you got Abraham and Sarah, who couldn't have babies. So Sarah opens up the opportunity for a maidservant and has a baby with the maidservant. Abraham has a baby with the maidservant. His name is Ishmael. But then God opens Sarah's womb and has a baby. His name is Isaac. Now, Sarah is concerned. I'm I'm paraphrasing majorly, but trying to apply it for today. Well, Sarah is a little concerned that the maidservant, son Ishmael, who is the firstborn, might get the inheritance And so in a long story, there's a separation, a division, and that's at battle today. There's another massive religion today that believes they are from the tribe of Ishmael. So now we have Isaac, sorry, Jacob, no Isaac, (laughs) has children, twins. So in the womb, there's a war going on. It's even mentioned in scripture that something's happening because it feels like they're always fighting each other. Out comes Esau first, his twins. But hanging on to the heel of Esau is Jacob. 
He's hanging onto the heel of Esau, probably trying to pull him back in, saying, no, I'm the one out first. But we know they're just babies. So now, and this is happens in families, I don't like it. So Rebecca has now birthed these twin boys. They wrestle and fight in her womb. Esau comes out first with Jacob hanging onto his heel. Isaac, the dad, loves Esau, and Rebecca loves Jacob. I don't like that in families. You know, oh, you're your, you're your mom's son, and oh, you're my daughter. No, 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 no. You're my daughter and your mom's daughter. And we love you equally as we love my other daughter who just landed in Hawaii last night. As we love our son, we love equally. There's diversity that we celebrate with each of our children. I will tell Samantha, you're my sunshine. And I will tell, and you mean the light, the world to me. I will tell my daughter, Jessica, you are my princess, and you mean the world to me. I will tell my son, Justin, you're my buddy, and you mean the world to me. You see, God looks at Kevin, you're my son, and you mean the world to me. Donna, you're my daughter, you mean the world to me. You're my favorite, you're my favorite, you're my favorite, you're my favorite. Like, you're the best of the best, you're the best. God loves us equally. And we as parents should love our children equally. Because if you don't, when the one that you knew was always going to be a problem, because maybe you've said you're always going to be the problem, you're the problem, kid, you're the bad, you know. Guess what? They might have become the problem. So Rebecca loves Jacob. Esau came out red-haired and hairy. Rebecca loves Jacob. But Esau was loved by Isaac. So Sarah, in her jealousy, asked Abraham to send Ishmael. Sorry. Asked Abraham from the maidservant to send the maidservant away. And now we come, so the grandparents had problems with their two boys. It created a real big problem that's going on today. Now the sons are have problems with the boys. And I'm saying this for a reason. When we take a look at this life of Jacob, he doesn't deserve what God planned for him. But yet God said, yes, he does. But there's a process in the ability to grow, to become the leader of nations. There's a process. That's what I want to go over. So now we go to, so anyway, so Jacob ended up going to another uh, town that was related to his mom, and he wanted to marry. He fell in love. How many of you know the story? He worked seven years on his wedding night. He woke up the next day. It ended up being the sister had 
snuck in, and he ended up sleeping with the sister Leah. And he's like, whoa, what happened? So he had to work another seven years. So it was a 14-year process to humble this guy. He went through a season to really go after God. He got cheated himself again. But he still went after God. Just because God has forgiven doesn't mean everyone else forgives you immediately. You can forgive, but it doesn't mean you trust. This is what I'm saying. We're called to forgive each other, but it doesn't mean that you instantly trust them again. Does that make sense? Okay, okay. So, chapter 32 of Genesis and 33, we're not going to go through it. I hope I'm getting this across the way I want to in my heart. But So now we're in Genesis chapter 32 and 33. So, uh, Jacob is over here somewhere, and Esau is over here. Jacob has his birthright and his blessing from Isaac. Esau is doing his thing over here. Jacob is getting restored in his process over here. Okay? But in chapter 32 and 33 of Genesis, something starts to happen where Jacob has to face one of his greatest fears. Or one of his greatest dangers, literally his life. It's called his brother Esau. So all these years, Jacob is getting restored back to the father. He's getting restored. He's getting built to become a king. He's getting built to become the lineage of Jesus Christ. He's getting built here. Even though there was deception that started, it ended up that his heart attitude brought him back into that relationship and that restoration with God. Okay, All these years, he's over there getting this thing done. But now he has to cross through Esau's territory. And he knows that there's one person that has the right to kill him. It would be his brother Esau. You see, just because he was restored back to Christ did not give him the expectation that everybody else has to forgive him. When someone asks for forgiveness, we are called to forgive them. There's a call to forgiveness and a process of building trust. Now, I tell people from day one when they come into the church, I automatically choose to trust you. Yeah, but don't you know the past? I don't care. I choose to trust you first. You have to make, make yourself non-trustworthy in my eyes, but I choose to trust you first. But once you've made yourself non-trustworthy, then I pray for restoration back to the Father because I know the only way I'm going to truly learn to trust you again, not forgive, forgive, I'll forgive you when you repent. But to trust you again, I know the only way that's truly going to happen is when you live in an intimacy of Jesus in your life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you will show others that you're trustworthy. Does that make sense? Um, A lot of people get put in prison for a bad, terrible crime. And many of those come out, but you're not to trust them right off the bat. Unless there's been a transformation. You're to forgive them, yes. But many will create another bad crime or worse because they actually didn't have a relationship with a father. 
So in Genesis chapter 32 and 33, now Jacob's moving his whole group, his whole family, and he knows that maybe God, that he knows God has forgiven him, and he's gone into a state of humility in his own life. But he doesn't know about his brother because he knows what he did to his brother. And so his expectation was not, you have to forgive me. His expectation was it coming in humility. And we're going to read about that. So just because God has forgiven you does not mean that your sin's consequences on earth are gone. Jacob's heart had changed for many years, but now he had to face consequences of his past. Jacob figured Esau wanted vengeance. Why wouldn't you think so? You stole everything from the guy. Many people at this point would say a quick prayer, then try to figure it out on their own ability. And some would even say a quick, maybe not even say a prayer, but you know what? If you don't forgive me, you're out of my life. And maybe even speak poorly about the person that didn't forgive them. But it's not a matter that someone maybe didn't forgive you. It's that they just don't trust you right now. Some would say, well, it's all washed under the blood. Yeah, your restoration back to Jesus is washed under the blood. But your expectation to an unsaved world that has no washing of the blood on them is a different story. Some nowadays... Would, would continue on. No, 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 no. I, you know, hey, I know I did bad. I know I did wrong. It was in the past. I'm all forgiven. It's done. It's finished. I'm all forgiven. But if the pattern has continued, if I have been violent to my wife over and over and over again, I cannot expect her to forgive me instantaneously when I say I'm sorry. I have to realize there's a process that has to happen in my own life to be true restoration. And that true restoration means that I actually change, not her. Restoration is about you and God. And once you and God are back into restoration, then everything else starts to happen. I told you how many years he worked. Seven years. Then seven more years. It was a process. We need to see God as our only hope. We need to keep pursuing God until the answer comes. It was this kind of focus and passionate faith that attracted the Lord to Jacob. What was the outcome of this passion? God sends an angel to visit him. So now he, he's on his way. He's scared spitless about his brother Esau. But yet he knows he's restored with God. He's gone through a process of restoration with the father, but he's still scared. He's fearful about Esau because he doesn't know how Esau is going to respond because honestly, in, 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 in the context of what he did to his brother, his brother has the right to kill him and his family and take all his inheritance. And so here comes Jacob with a little bit of intrepidation towards his brother. Look at Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 24. Genesis 32, starting in verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. It's neat when you study that word man, you notice it's capitalized. Some supernatural being like an angel. Wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Verse 25. 
And now when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. That's just a little unfair. Here he's wrestling an angel. And the angel, Jacob, are going back and forth. This Jacob was powerful. He had the favor and the blessing of God on his life, and he's literally wrestling one of the angelic realms. And so the angel wrestles him all night and realizes, man, I'm not winning this guy. This guy's got something supernaturally powerful. And so he reaches down and he touches the hip. A little unfair in a fight, but... He touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled. So here's Jacob now. (laughs) Verse 26. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. (laughs) The angel says, let me go for the day is breaking and it's a new day. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. (laughs) I didn't fight with you all night for no reason. I'm fighting for the blessing. Sounds greedy. But I want you to know, I'm not fighting with any one of you or anyone on this earth. I am fighting for the blessing of God in my life, in my marriage, my children, and in our ministry. I'm going after it, people. I will not let you go until you bless me. Most people would see this as a selfish motive, but we need to understand the persistent drive that Jacob had. We need to have that kind of a persistent drive. No matter what war is around you, no matter what war you're in, go after the blessing of God. Go after the favor of God. That is the answer for you. It will give you the ability to forgive everyone. Well, I thought you just said before, we don't need to forgive. No, 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 no. We need to forgive. That's biblical. But it takes a bit to trust sometimes. But true forgiveness is looking for the open doors to build trust. True forgiveness is not saying, I forgive you, but I'll never have anything to do with you ever again because you're a dirty rotten. Oh, yeah, that sounds like you forgave him. Oh, no, when I forgive someone, when they come and they ask for forgiveness, I forgive them. I love people. But, boy, I hate sin. We need this persistent drive. It's not selfish. It's expected and desired by God. God is looking for the people that have a persistent drive after his favor, after his blessings, after the truth of his word in their lives. He's looking for those people. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Genesis 32, verse 27. And so he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. (laughs) What a bold guy. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. 
So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. See, he was fighting this angel, but he knew that God could take him. This, it, it could have gone another way. But he thanked God for preserving his life. The response to Jacob's persistence resulted in a name change. And this happened during the pursuit of the blessing. The more we go after the blessing, the more your name is changing in the supernatural. The more you go after the favor and the blessing of the Lord with the right heart attitude as a true son, as a true daughter, the more authority and the more power you will walk on this earth. And you will walk in blessing and favor. And people will get upset at you. They'll get jealous at you. How could you afford that? How could you do that? How could you buy that? And I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say, it's called the blessing and the favor of God. God's looking for the ones that are worthy to be walking in his presence, in his glory, in his blessing, and in his favor. But I guarantee you, you won't be worthy of walking in his blessing and favor unless you first live in his presence. His presence. His presence. Because in his presence, there is no sin. It's a beautiful thing. There's no, no sin in his presence. So the deeper we're in his presence, the less sin will be in our life. Not signs and wonders. Not the gifts. Those are gifts. A sinner can use a gift, and a believer can use a gift. But his presence... In his presence, you don't care about your gift. In his presence, you don't care if anyone sees you up here preaching on the platform. In his presence, you, you're not worried on whether you're going to get promoted or not promoted. Because in his presence, that is your promotion. Your promotion, my promotion on this earth is by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> my hairs are up on end right now as such a presence. <laughs> by the presence that Jesus Christ pulled himself from to die on this cross. Rise again by the presence of the promise of the Father, His Holy Spirit in our lives. That presence that I'm talking about is not about taking someone out that did wrong, it's not about backstabbing and condemning someone behind their back. It has nothing to do with that. It's not the hard attitude that I will never forgive you. That is not the presence I'm talking about. It is actually not about anyone around you. It's about you and God. That's it. It's not about letting some addictive drug or excessive alcohol, whatever it is, come into your life on a regular basis or pornography. It's not about that. It's about the presence being so powerful that you have no desire to find another drug. The only drug you desire is the presence. 
Well, you call them the presence a drug? Uh, every other drug is a false presence. Why do you go get high? Why do you drink excessively? Why do you do this? Because you're looking to drown sorrow. You're looking to get out of whatever it is you're in. And it's become this presence of a drug or an alcohol or whatever it is. It's become a presence of pornography. It's going to become a presence of issue. It's become a presence of sin. But the presence of God is the answer to every other presence that could be possible on this earth. And the neat thing about God that I don't understand and maybe one day in heaven I'll ask him to teach me more about it and every time I've asked him that here on earth he says I am teaching you about it it's called unconditional forgiveness <laughs> that's hard what does that look like how, how do I forgive people that offend me or that have hurt me or that have stabbed me or that have done something how, how do I forgive them God it's in his presence. <laughs> it's, because the more I get into his presence, the more I don't want to go on social media and slam things. The more I get in his presence, the more I just want to stay hidden in his presence. Even if my name gets brought up falsely, I just want his presence after his presence. Jacob's name changed from the catcher of a heel, hanging on to the heel, to Israel literally means Prince of God. Son of God. Prince of God. You understand what I'm saying? He's not Jesus. You and I are sons of princes or princesses of God because we're adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can get into the family of God is to believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the only way. Your good works aren't going to get you there. You have to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jacob limped the rest of his life. He was injured in the encounter with God. The encounter was so real, it actually injured him physically. That was the cost for his persistence. It cost him a little more because he went after the blessing again. First, it was the blessing of his own earthly father, and he stole it from Esau. But now he has a, a new father in his eyes, and he's asking for the blessing, and it cost him a little Genesis 33, verse 1 to 4. And now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were 400 men. Yeah, if you've been living at least 14 plus years after stealing everything from your older brother, and you probably didn't have text messages and messenger to get back and forth with him, and you hadn't seen the guy or talked to him, but you heard rumors of his anger and rage against you. All of a sudden, you're now face to face. Uh, and here you are with your wives, with your kids, you know, with your, a few of your sons and, and your animals and stuff. And here is your brother who you're 
you know has the right to kill you, but he's got 400 men coming towards you. Retreat! Retreat! No, that's not Jacob. What does he do? He divides the children amongst Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and the children in front. Leah and her children behind. And Rachel and Joseph came last. And today we would see that as a coward. But in biblical days, he was saying, everything I have is yours. And then he crossed over before them, and this is critical, and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. All, everything I own has gone before the someone who has the right to take me out, who I've hurt tremendously. The victims of my failures. I don't threaten the victims to be quiet. I don't go after them. I, I, I literally give everything I own in front of them. And I come down and I bow. It doesn't mean I'm worshiping them. What it means in the battles of war is that you have the right to take my head off and walks a little closer and then goes down. And then walks a little closer and then goes down. And walks a little closer and then goes down. That's called a leader in humility. And I do that to my sons, my daughters. I look at you all and I say, I preach the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel. But there are so many times I feel unworthy to do it. And I go before my Lord and Savior on the floor. And I look at my wife. I will go before her on the floor, head down. I will look at my sons and my daughters, and I will go before them with my head down. It's not only if I make a mistake, it's just the whole, hopefully the lifestyle I choose to live to our children and grandchildren. Because I'm not higher than them. I'm not bigger, well I am a little fatter, but I'm not bigger than them. I'm a father to raise up champions that are going to do things I could only dream of in my wildest imagination. And some of the angelic encounters I've had, I've even wrestled for the sake of a son in the Spirit. And I'll go through it. I'll go through a limping hip if that's what it takes. This is not about condemning. This is about forgiveness. This is about you and me leaving this place with something changed in our heart than when we came in. 
Because if you come to church and something doesn't change in your heart, find another church or open your heart. Yeah, I didn't get nothing out of Windward Ministries Church. It's not my responsibility for you to get something. It's your responsibility to receive something. And that has to come from God. Not a man or a woman, but from God. And Heike said her passion is to, with her team to raise up women to come alongside the men. I just want to clarify something here. Our passion is that women can raise up so men can come alongside the women. <laughs> I can't do what I'm called to do without my wife, my daughters. I can't. I'm not better than her. Are you kidding me? As soon as I think that, and I don't bow to get my head cut off in front of her. I'm not better. We're co-equals and laborers in the kingdom. But I will guarantee when men and women work together, there's an established power and authority that has to be in the church. This whole macho thing is ridiculous. But this whole women's lip thing is just about as bad. I'm sorry. I grew up in women's lip, beginnings of it. Oh, I wasn't a women's liver, but I just grew up when it started. Equal rights, equal rights. No, actually, you deserve more than equal. My wife deserves more. She's not equal rights with me. She deserves more. She caused her a lot more pain to have our three children than it did me. I just watched the first one of that, and I thought, okay, <laughs> My part in getting her pregnant was fun. Her part in birthing was another story. You know, I'm like, okay, Sharon. Verse 3 again. Genesis 33, verse 3. Then he crossed over before him and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. Imagine Jacob's bowing seven times. He looks up and Esau is running out of him. Ah! It's like, ah! Maybe that's why he bowed seven times, because he thought Jacob Esau was running to kill him. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept together. Something had happened in all these years. It's a beautiful thing that's called restoration. But it only happened, I believe, because Jacob after God first before the expectation of Esau to forgive him. And somewhere along the line, the favor that came on Jacob and the blessing that came on Jacob, somehow, somewhere along the line, we don't know for sure, but somehow Esau must have gone after God too. 
Jacob found favor with Esau. Why? Because the power of the blessing and favor that came upon Jacob's life after his encounter with God and his name changed was so powerful, so powerful, that it will affect the people around you. When I say go after the blessing, it's not money. It's not wealth of this world. To go after the pure blessing of God starts with a man named Jesus Christ. To receive him into your life. It brings you into, it opens a door for you to be brought into an encounter with the Father. The blessings of God are are His, His Holy Spirit being poured out upon us. The true blessings and favor of God are not about money, even though it can include that, but, but money to God is not important. He owns everything anyways. The most important thing to God is relationship and intimacy with Him. That's why He created Adam, and that's why He gave Eve to Adam. And when we understand this form of blessing with the intimacy of the Father, other things they just don't seem as important because the most important thing that has to be in our life is you with him this unstoppable drive for God's face that started to change in Jacob This is an amazing reminder that a person does not need to be perfect to begin their journey. Jacob wasn't perfect when he began his journey. He was a sinner. He was a thief. A liar. But he served time and humbled himself. None of us are perfect to start the journey and none of us are perfect to be in the journey. But I will guarantee you that journey should make us perfected in Him. But what the most important part is, is our pursuit after God's heart because that's what will perfect you. It's what will perfect me. Our heart's desire needs to know more God. We must follow God without distractions. This lifestyle choice that I'm talking about is really the heart of a worshiper, a lifestyle of a worshiper. It'll cause more transformation than any list of rules found in religion. It's a lifestyle after the heart of God. It's called lifestyle of a worshiper. We could put rules on a, in a book and you can sign a membership and I give you the list of the rules we could do that but then I'm trying to use religion to stop you from sin and that's 
not what I believe. My rules are already written down. Do I want you to sin? No. But I pray that we can teach you a lifestyle of truth that will be the ability for you and I to say, devil, get behind me. Because I just want more of you, Father. Let's all stand. Some of you here this morning watching on TV right now could have a bit of Jacob in you and you could have a bit of Esau in you. Well, there's some real good parts of Jacob and there's some real good parts of Esau. But any part that doesn't belong to God, it's actually your responsibility to get rid of it. It's not mine. It's not our pastors here. It's not our duty to make you get rid of your problems. Our duty is to raise up, equip, and teach the Word of God to such a level, I pray, that you will have a revelation of Jesus Christ, an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and an intimacy with the Father God. Because that is your answer. If my answer. Let's pray. So, Father God, I pray, Father, for the leaders around this world of the Christian faith, for the pastors, I pray, Lord God, that we will preach your word and the move of your Holy Spirit will breathe upon it like the wind word. <laughs> I thank you for the men and the women that are fighting the good fights. I pray, Lord God, for peoples that have struggled or are struggling. I pray, Lord God, that you will give, I want to say you will give them the strength. And I feel like the Lord is saying, I have already given them the strength and third choice to receive it. I pray, Father, that our hearts will be open, even in my own life, to learn and to grow closer to you. I thank you, Father, for Windward. I thank you for this ministry. I thank you for the local churches, and we bless them, Father. We bless them. The, the Alder Grove Vineyard Church that we co-labored with, and Langley Vineyard, and even Ross Road uh, uh, Mennonite Church that helped start the, the ground across the way of, of the, the church called County Line. Father, just all these things of the past and how we're all starting to work together again in this community. I thank you, and we bless it, Father. We bless the RCMP, Lord God, of Canada. We bless the Abbotsford Police, Lord God. We bless the ambulance attendants and all the, the emergency responders that, that keep us safe, Lord God. We bless our mayors. We bless our prime ministers. We bless uh, the people of our government, Father. We ask, Lord God, that, we, that they will receive a blessing, which means a relationship with you, Father, in such a mighty way. I might not be in agreement of some of the decisions of our government, but I will tell you one thing. I pray the blessing upon this country called Canada from sea to sea, sea to shining sea. And I pray for the election coming up in October. I pray, Lord God. <laughs> oh, Lord, 
that a mighty man or woman will rise up and step into the power and the glory of your kingdom come and your will be done in this beautiful nation. And if that's our prime minister, I ask for the encounter with your presence, Father. <laughs> yes, Lord. I pray for the ones in here I feel in my heart that have been devastated and hurt by past relationships that have failed, marriages that have failed. by leaders that have failed. And I ask, Lord God, that we will forgive to set us free and set them free. I forgive, Father, men and women that have hurt us, blasphemed us. I forgive them, Lord. I'm not in agreement with the sin. I just forgive them. I pray here today that we will forgive ourselves and we will give the one forgive the ones around us as we go after you and your kingdom come and your will be done in us on earth as it is in your heavens because you have blessed us and given us this day you have blessed us with our daily bread. And you lead us from unrighteousness. And you lead us into righteousness. <laughs> you lead us from it because you lead us into it. in this room get out in Jesus name by the stripes across Jesus back you are healed any deception out in Jesus name any unforgiveness go ah, I feel like the Lord has just said I can't actually declare your unforgiveness to go. You have to declare your unforgiveness to go. In Jesus' name, I declare unforgiveness in my life to go. But you, each of you, have to make a decision in your own life. So I'm going to say it, and if you want to say it with me, you're going to speak for your own life. Unforgiveness in my life, go in Jesus' name. That's hard for someone. Because holding on to the pain has become a lifestyle for some. You'll never find freedom holding on to the pains of the past. You have to let it go. Release it in Jesus' name. that horse and rider again as Chris saw 
still the one up on the top of the building, but there's a whole bunch running around the field and around this building. And I see this demonic force outside the property, but they just can't get in. <laughs> and so, the scripture over and over again as he sits on the throne he laughs at his enemies anybody at the same time if you're so hungry in your life that you want more you also can step up front here I say this for a reason of course you can stay seated or stand wherever you want I'm just feeling there's something up here and maybe you have a sickness why don't you just get up here and get rid of it in Jesus name why don't why don't we just go after this like like forget the schedule forget the time the time is of the Lord's but I will tell you, I will guarantee you as personal experience in my own life. When I forgave people in my life that I felt I could never forgive, but when I finally forgave them, it gave me a freedom. It gave me a new freedom that I want everyone to experience. And some of you have experienced it. Some of you have experienced more than me. Experience more. Experience more. to this day that this new September was the starting of revival again. I will tell you that revival starts with me, it starts with you, it starts in our own lives. Not the expectation of someone else in revival, but the expectation of you personally in revival. We're going to be having Rosh Hashanah coming up at the end of the month during our conference. It's the ending of a a Jewish calendar year and entering into a new season. I believe we are now in the days leading up to it. Of the ending of the old and the beginning of the new, says the Lord. And all the angels are like, yeah, around this building. Uh, A right knee with pain be healed in Jesus name someone actually had a hip issue Uh, hip pain be healed in Jesus name cancers go tumors go bad kidneys be restored actually no the Lord says new kidney (laughs) diabetes finished in Jesus name 
what? There's an open heaven. <laughs> and the Lord, he kind of corrects me a little bit. He says, I opened heaven a long time ago. It's just our eyes have been too cloudy to see the freshness of it. It's just our ears have been listening to the things that have closed our eyes to see. And so I ask, Lord God, let our ears be filled with your glory, with the words of your words. And let our eyes see the fullness of what you have us to see. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your day. This is your day. John 3.16 is clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, all you have to do is believe in the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. sin that's a lie no you hung on to him and got pulled into sin you had to make the choice 
I will guarantee you the devil didn't make a choice. His choice is already made a long time ago. So let go. If you've hung on to sin and hang on to truth, why? Because this will set you free. It sets me free. This is liberty right here.
these spots of leprosy in me. In anything that I think or do that opposes you, I bind it in Jesus' name. For this revival is not about tents, it is not about buildings, it is not about size. This revival is personal. And then the Lord says, that's revival, says the Lord. And I feel like he says to me, or implies, that is what will fill the buildings of my church. That is what the media will talk about. That is what will reach the lost. Amazing.